The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Our uh, reading this morning comes from from Matthew chapter 5, and it's uh, verses 17 through 20 that Todd will be preaching on. Uh, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. These are the words of God. Please be seated. Amen. Well, you know, as a pastor, I get to interact with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, some who grew up in Christian homes, grew up going to church, uh, but who internalized Christianity essentially as a bunch of rules to keep. Uh, that might be you. You might be here this morning like, that's, that's actually, that's me. Or you might be here this morning, you're not a Christian, and that's kind of how you've always viewed Christianity, that it's, it's really about some rules. And as a result, it's possible to have a very legalistic view of Christianity. And there's three broad forms of legalism, all right? The first form of legalism says, if I just keep the rules, I'm good. Uh, In fact, it's by keeping the rules that I know I'm accepted by God. It's up to me. It's up to my good works that gets it done. That's the first form of legalism. Just so we're absolutely clear, that is antithetical to the gospel. All right? A second form of legalism, which although it can and, and very often does overlap with the first, though it doesn't necessarily always, Uh, But it's a legalism that takes the commands of Scripture. And there's commands here in Scripture. But the second form of legalism takes those commands and adds to them. It expands upon them. Creating new rules that aren't actually commanded by God, but now we treat them as such to help us very often make darn sure well that we don't break God's rules. Rules on rules on rules, see? And as a result, this kind of legalism forbids what is permissible in Scripture and requires what is encouraged. It's overly restrictive, see? The third form of legalism, then, is an over-focus on rules, an over-emphasis of the commands to the exclusion of other aspects of our faith, such as joy and worship and grace and experiencing God's presence and communing with Him. Three forms of legalism. Often I come across folks who have been shaped by a culture infected by all three. And when that happens, uh, what happens then when that person actually encounters the actual gospel of Jesus is a radical new awakening. When someone raised or, or coming out of a legalistic Christian culture hears the gospel being preached and they understand that it's not my works, that get me right with God. It's, it's not my rule-keeping, but Jesus's. 
It's not my sacrifice, but, but his. I'm, I'm not actually saved by my good behavior. I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. There's an awakening that happens. There's a sense of freedom that comes from realizing I'm secure in the finished work of Christ, which means I don't have to create rules on top of rules to help me to, you know, to not break the rules. I don't have to forbid what God permits. I don't have to require what Scripture only encourages. I'm not saddled with a whole bunch of extra shoulds. I'm free. I'm free to not just focus all the time on obedience, obedience, obedience. I've been justified. I've been counted right before God already, which means I'm free to actually have a relationship with Him and enjoy Him and rest in Him and worship Him and commune with Him because I belong to Him and I always will. (laughs) That's the gospel. This gospel of grace is extremely liberating. You know, I've had people tell me, I've been a Christian for, you know, a number of years, for a really long time, but this grace stuff is brand new to me. You know, all I have to do is trust in Jesus. All I got is just rest in Him. That is brand new to me, and it is glorious. I've heard people say it over and over, some of you. When that happens, it's incredible. And it's the actual gospel actually taking hold in your heart and in your life. Now, what often later happens to that same person is they read the passage that Marty just read and they say, wait a minute, (laughs) right? It messes with you. What exactly is Jesus saying here? Because it seems like he's saying the rules still matter. In fact, verse 20, it seems like he's saying, I got to be at the very tip top of my game in rule keeping to even get in to the kingdom of heaven. What's going on? I thought it was all about grace. But here Jesus is talking about the law again. Well, what's going on is something very, very important. And it's Jesus keeping us out of two different ditches. Anyone in here ever been mudding? Any country folk? There, I, okay, I got a hand back there. Another one. Okay, good. Okay, there's another one back there. For you city folk who don't know about mudding, um, mudding is when you get in a pickup truck, sometimes a four-wheel drive, but it doesn't have to be to be honest with you. And um, you you go and you find a a dirt road um, after it's rained or after the snow has melted, like we just experienced now, Um, which means that dirt road is now not a dirt road, but a mud road. That's a mud road, right? And the goal of mud, essentially, is to get some momentum built up, and you just start driving down that road pretty much as fast as you can, because the whole goal is to make it to the other end without getting stuck and so, you know, you're just you're driving along, you're shooting mud all over the place, the truck's going to be covered, I mean, it's going to take you six weeks to, to clean it up, uh, but you're having fun, and you're sliding all over the place, the whole goal is to get to the other end, but oftentimes what happens, if you go mudding, now this can happen, is uh, you can slide off the road and into the ditch, and if you slide off the road and into the ditch, you're in a little bit of trouble, you know, you got to call somebody, you got to call your brother, or a friend, or maybe, maybe your dad, and they might have to come with a tractor and a chain, actually, and pull you out of that ditch, because uh, it's, it's going to be a mess, right? Here's the deal, though. When you make that phone call, uh, no one on the other side of the phone call asks, now, which ditch are you in, left side or right side? Right? Nobody asks that question because it doesn't matter. If you go off the road and you're in the ditch, it doesn't matter which ditch you're in. If you're in the ditch, you're in the ditch. And here, Jesus in our passage, he wants to guard us from two ditches. See, it's possible, isn't it, 
to, to focus so much on the commands of Scripture, so much on obedience and holiness, that you end up with so much legalism that you don't have any grace. That's one ditch. But it's also possible to talk about being saved by grace over and over until you have so much grace that you don't have any holiness, you don't have any obedience, that's the other ditch. And listen, it, if you go off the road in either ditch, it doesn't really matter which ditch you're in, does it? If you're in the ditch, you're in a ditch. Well, this passage helps us to stay out of the ditches and on the gospel road. And it starts out, really, with Jesus on the defensive. Did you notice that? Look at verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. This is, this is Jesus saying, don't misunderstand why I've come. All right, don't, don't misunderstand what, what I'm all about. Don't misunderstand my teaching, or to put it another way, maybe applicationally for us today, don't misunderstand the gospel. See, we're dropping into the middle of Jesus' sermon here. It's, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. But we've been looking at what came before it in previous weeks. And, and what has Jesus been saying up until this point? If you just skim back through the first part of Matthew 5, you'll see it if you haven't been here with us. He's been talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he said things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said things like, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who have a hungry pursuit for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so on. But what he hasn't said is blessed are the rule keepers. But what he hasn't said are blessed are the command followers. He hasn't said blessed are the super duper careful. Those giving extreme attention to the law and obedience. And as a result... There was a temptation for those following Jesus, or perhaps those in the crowds listening in, to misunderstand Jesus, to misunderstand why he came, to misunderstand the gospel. Was Jesus teaching that all you had to do was be poor in spirit and you're in? Just be meek. And you got it. Just be mild and you're in a peacemaker, a friendly, good old Nebraskan, you know, nice. And you're into the kingdom of heaven? That you don't have to be righteous to get in, just pursuing it. Just hungering and thirsting. Is that enough? Or to put it another way, was Jesus teaching that the Old Testament scriptures didn't matter? That the, the law, all the commandments, the ethical precepts, the Ten Commandments, and so on. Was he teaching that none of that mattered? Was he teaching that we don't need any of that anymore? Not at all. Don't misunderstand, Jesus says. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, until the end of the age, he's saying, not an iota. Not, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, uh, not, not a jot or tittle, some translations say, right? None of it will pass away. A, a jot or an iota is the smallest of Hebrew letters. A dot then or, or a tittle 
is like a seraph. It's, it's just a, the tiniest part of a letter. It's like the dotting of an I or the crossing of a T. Jesus is saying none of the minutest details of the Old Testament are to be overlooked. He is 100% pro-Old Testament, right? None of it will pass away, never, he says, until everything's been accomplished. See, when Jesus says he didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets, the law and the prophets is shorthand for saying all of the Old Testament scripture. He hasn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. He's come to fulfill them. What does that mean? Well, think about the law and the prophets. Think about the Old Testament scriptures. There's commands in there, yes, and Jesus came to fulfill them. Right, to, to perfectly keep them, but there's, there's more. There's also predictive prophecy in there about the Messiah. We've encountered that already in Matthew's gospel. Matthew has said multiple times, he's pointed back and quoted Old Testament prophets and said this was done in order that the, the, the prophecy might be fulfilled. He's labored to show us that, but even more, there's even more there when you think about it. The ceremonial law, the civil law, all the, the narratives, the true stories, the types, the shadows. Jesus is saying here, I'm a fulfillment of all of that. I'm the fulfillment of all of that. It, it all pointed to me, Jesus is saying. I am bringing to fruition everything the Old Testament contains, everything that it's about, everything it commanded and predicted and foreshadowed. I am the fulfillment of it all. See, everyone around Jesus, they were trying to understand and they listen to his teaching, they're trying to understand Jesus' relation to the law. But what Jesus wants everyone to understand is the law's relation to him. It would have been one thing, you know, if Jesus would have shown up and he would have said, listen up, listen up, everybody. Uh, here's the thing, I came to perfectly adhere to all the commandments. I'm going to do it perfectly, just watch. It would have been one thing if he would have said that. That would be bold. That would get the Pharisees' attention. Or if he said, I've come to give you the very best and, and authoritative teaching on the law. I really understand it, guys, and I'm going to tell you exactly what it all uh, really means. That'd be something. And the scribes would perk up. But Jesus goes way further than that. He says, I've come to fulfill it. All of it. He says, it's all about me. In fact, if you really want to understand it, look to me and listen to me. I am the fulfillment of it all. That's what got him killed. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, it means, you know, we don't get to discard the Old Testament for one thing. It means we don't get to throw away, for example, the Ten Commandments. It means there's still rules. There's still things that God commands in the Old Testament and other things that he forbids there, and we're to heed all of that. We don't get to, like, cut that part out and be like, that was the Old Testament. That's not really us anymore. None of that has passed away. None of it will pass away until the end of the age. See, from a gospel perspective, we, we, we often say something like this. We often say, uh, Jesus lived the perfect life that I was supposed to, but can't. All right? And that is true. That's true. When you believe in him, his perfect obedience is counted as yours. That is gospel truth. But that doesn't mean that you no longer have to abide by his word. It, it, no longer means that, it doesn't mean that you can no longer, that you can just live however you want. We misunderstand the gospel if we convince ourselves of that. Don't misunderstand the gospel. Instead, take scripture seriously. That's the second thing that I want us to see here. 
take Scripture seriously. You and I are to not misunderstand the gospel, but instead we're to take Scripture very seriously. Look at verse 19. He says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's a little bit of debate, a little in-house debate going on there about what these commandments refer to. I believe they point forward to the commands that Jesus is about to lay down in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Some think they actually point backwards um, in, in the text to the, to the commandments in the, you know, backwards to the commandments in the Old Testament. But to point back would, to be, would be actually to point to all the law and all the prophets, which is way more than just commands. It's Way more than that. No, it seems best to see these commandments that Jesus is referring to here as what's all, all what's coming next in the, in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. The flow then goes like this. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament Scriptures. I came to fulfill them. All of it pointed to me. I am the fulfillment of it all, which means if you really want to understand it, look to me. Listen to me. And in particular right now, listen up to these commands I'm about to give you. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Now let me just ask you, um, are you ready for that? (laughs) Are you ready for the rest of this sermon? Not mine, Jesus's. Are you ready for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount? And really ready to, to take it, you know, seriously because there's some hard words in here. Next week, we're going to look at Jesus' teaching on anger. Anybody ever feel angry in their heart? Jesus is going to, he's got some things to say about that. After that, it's lust. And then divorce. And then making promises. And he's going to talk about retaliation, loving your enemies, and, and, and giving to the needy. A whole bunch of really practical teaching on very practical matters, which, if I can just be very honest and upfront and blunt, it's very hard to obey. Perfectly? You know, C.S. Lewis was once asked a question along the lines of if he cared for the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of a, a weird expression, um, but do you, do you care for the Sermon on the Mount? And listen to how he responded. He says, as to caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring here means liking or enjoying, I suppose no one cares for it. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of a man who can read the passage, the Sermon on the Mount, with tranquil pleasure. He says, this is indeed what it means to be, as the Old Testament prophets talked about, at ease in Zion. Are you getting this? I mean, Lewis, he likens reading the Sermon on the Mount to being hit in the face with a sledgehammer. It comes at you. It it, it knocks you down. It's hard stuff. And yet Jesus here in verse 19, very bluntly, very directly says, don't relax any of it. Don't don't loosen up on any of it. Don't nullify these commands of mine in any way. Don't break them. And don't teach others to do it either. Which is probably a reference to passing along what we model in our life. See, we model, we teach inherently, don't we, to others around us, what we think about the commands of Jesus based upon how we ourselves approach the commands of Jesus. I mean, your your kids are watching. Your coworkers, they're watching. Your extended family, they're, they're watching. Your, your, your non-Christian neighbors, they're, they're all watching. They're learning. 
If you take these commandments of Jesus seriously, if you're doing them, you're teaching others to take them seriously. If you're not taking them seriously, if you're relaxing, if you're relaxing the commands of Jesus, you're inherently teaching others to do the same. And Jesus says, that matters. That matters. What you do with Scripture, what you do with the words of our Lord, the commandments of God, it matters. You're to take the Scripture seriously. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say that he says greatness in the kingdom, greatness in the kingdom of heaven will be measured accordance with our conformity to these commandments. It's astonishing. Listen, these are commandments of your king. What are you doing with them? Are you taking them seriously? Are, are, are you seeking to honor your king and show glory to your king to actually declare to the world who it is that your king is by keeping them? Or are you relaxing them? Playing fast and loose with them? Treating them like best practices, you know? Goals. Presuming upon God's grace. Or even perhaps just completely ignoring them. It's like, I'm not going to read the rest of it. I know there's stuff in here. I'm, I'm just not, I'm going to ignore it. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, listen, whichever one you think is the most menial, the least important, the least relevant to your life, the one you're tempted to say, that, that one doesn't really matter that much. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, you might be, you're probably thinking about right now, that's starting to sound a little legalistic, actually. I thought the way you're doing that beginning was we were not doing that way, you know? What's going on here? It's starting to sound... Like the legalistic way was the right way after all. I mean, that actually feels a little heavy. Burdensome, actually. I thought Jesus' yoke was supposed to be easy, you know? Uh, his yoke easy, his burden light. I like that one. How am I supposed to understand all this? And the way you're supposed to understand all this is by understanding, third point now, the heart of righteousness. The heart of righteousness. Look at verse 20. Jesus says at the end of this paragraph, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> when you first read that, you're like, Oh man, look, I'm toast. I mean, what hope is there for me then? And my righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees? They were the religious elite. They, they were the best of the best. The top gun, you know? They, they, I mean, they were the ones that other Israelites would have looked to to try to understand how it was that they're supposed to be living their life and going about their business. They set the standard. They kept the law like it was their job because it was their job, right? Me, look, I'm poor in spirit. Can we, go, can we just go back to the, that part? I like that. You know, I like that much, much more. Listen, this... This is where you have to understand something is absolutely essential. And you'll lose the gospel if you miss it. 
that Jesus is saying here that your problem is not that you're not as religious as the scribes and Pharisees. Your problem is, even if you were, you still couldn't get in. He says, your righteousness must exceed. The, the, the emphasis of that is far surpass. It must far surpass that of theirs. How can that be? Well, to understand that, you have to understand their problem. The scribes and the Pharisees. See, the, the problem of the scribes and the Pharisees was not that they couldn't keep all their rules. Their problem was that they could. Jesus here, in the Sermon on the Mount, is redefining righteousness with respect to how the legalistic scribes and Pharisees understood it. For the scribes and Pharisees, they sought to codify righteousness, prescribing specific behaviors in minute detail for every foreseeable situation. Just take the Sabbath command as an example. They took the Sabbath command, they added all kinds of rules to it, defining how far you could walk, defining how many words you could write, defining how much food you could take out of storage on that day without breaking the Sabbath. And the result was that they they actually thinned out the commandments. They made them surface level. And in so doing, they lost the the depth. They they turned the law into an advanced copy of the New York Times bestseller, The Checklist Manifesto. They took the spirit of the law and they turned it into letters. They, They took the rich and deep complexity of the law of God, the character of the law, and they made it wider but thinner, losing the depth, losing the deep breath. Losing the heart of righteousness. Focusing on details over principles. Actions over motives. Doing rather than being. I mean, the irony here is that the accusation that Jesus is defending himself against is that he came to abolish the law when in reality, they had abolished it already. They destroyed it with their rules. They destroyed it with their legalisms, all three forms of it. What Jesus is demanding instead is the righteousness the law of God truly points to, which is what he unpacks in what follows in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not enough to just not murder someone. That's a checklist item. No, what Jesus is after is a heart of righteousness that addresses even anger inside of us. It's it's not enough to just not commit adultery. That's a checklist item. What Jesus is after is a heart of righteousness that, that addresses even the lustful intents inside of us. That's how Christian righteousness far exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's deeper. It's a righteousness of the heart. The Pharisees, they were content with a very external and formal obedience, a rigid conformity to the the letter of the law. Jesus teaches us that God's commands are far more radical than that. The righteousness which is pleasing to God is an inward righteousness of the whole being, a heart of righteousness. 
And if you're tracking, you know, where you should be right now, you're asking yourself, how, how do I create that? You know, like how, how do I form that inside of me? And the answer is, you can't. You don't. But God does. This is part of what it means to understand that Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. See, all the way back in Jeremiah, one of the Old Testament prophets, all the way back in Jeremiah in the Old Testament, God made a promise as part of what the Bible calls the new covenant. That he would put his law not, not upon us, but within us. That he'd actually write it upon our hearts. And then through Ezekiel, he told us how. He said, I'm going I'm to give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, cause you to be careful to obey my rules. New heart obedience, see. This is why entrance into the kingdom of heaven is impossible without a righteousness that greatly exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. This kind of righteousness, a heart of righteousness, you, you, you can't create it, you can't form it in yourself. No, it comes to you when you become a Christian. This is part of what happens in you when you trust in Jesus. You're born again. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Your old heart has, has been removed. You, you, didn't do, you didn't do that. Your old heart has, has been removed and a new heart has been given you. And his law is already pre-written on that new heart. Here's what that means practically. When you read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount as a Christian, someone who's received this new heart and been born again, this new creation, it's no longer like a sledgehammer to the face. It's more like a gong that is struck that resonates deeply inside of you. It resonates in that new heart of yours with what God has already written on your heart. And you long to keep his law. You long to keep it deeply because you have the heart of righteousness. Does that mean you keep it perfectly perfect all the perfect time? No. But even when you don't, even when you fail, even when you sin, the desire is still there. Even if it wanes, sometimes it comes back. The desire is there to keep it, and you're growing in keeping it. And God promises in his word that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion on the day of the Lord. But when you fail at it, when you sin, you don't beat yourself up. You don't excommunicate yourself. You don't doubt that you were ever really a Christian to begin with. You confess. You repent. And you get back up and you keep walking by faith. You know those New Covenant passages back there in Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel? Uh, back in those passages, God also says, talking about those who will be a part of the New Covenant, who receive the New Covenant, he also says, I will cleanse you. I will forgive your iniquities and remember your sins no more. That's true as well for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. You've been cleansed once and for all. 
Your, your sins, all of them, past, present, future, they've been forgiven and God remembers them no more, it says. How? Only by Jesus. Only his perfect life and his perfect death on that cross. His perfect righteousness, which is all counted as yours when you trust in him. See, the heart of the Pharisee, uh, the, the heart of the legalist, if we go back to, to where we began, the heart of the legalist says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Therefore I'm righteous. The heart of the true Christian says, I'm accepted through faith in Christ. I'm counted righteous with Christ, and therefore now I obey from the new heart. I want you to picture two people, two different people, uh, sitting in the same church, reading the same Bible, uh, even let's just say reading the very same Sermon on the Mount. One reads it and is filled with fear. Feels like a, a sledgehammer to the face. And they're, they're going to try and try and try, but when they fail, they, 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 you know, they can't keep it, they're going to hate themselves. Or, worse perhaps, when they succeed in some parts. They're going to be filled with utter pride and look around at others and demand compliance by them as well. They're going to create a very legalist culture around themselves in their home, in their church. The other person in the room, remember, in the, in the same exact church, same exact Bible, same exact passage of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, they read it and they're filled with grateful joy. Feels like a, a gong being struck that, that resonates deeply inside of them and their heart of righteousness. They know they're already counted righteous before God because of Jesus. And the desire to live this way out of joyful obedience to the Lord, Savior, King. And when they fail, they know they're covered. They know they're forgiven. But that forgiveness does not cause them to presume upon God's grace. No, they confess and they repent and they keep seeking to live a life that is honoring to the king. What's the difference between the two? A heart of righteousness. A heart of righteousness. The difference is everything. Listen, if you're here and you're a Christian, if you've really turned from yourself and trusted in Jesus, you're the second person. You have a heart of righteousness. Now live like it. Let's pray. Father, we are very aware of the two ditches on either side of the gospel road. Legalism on the one side, license on the other. Help us now to understand the heart of righteousness and remain on the gospel road. Help us understand that you have given us a new heart, that you've written your law on it, and we're to walk in, in holiness that our lives are to be marked by living in accordance with all your scriptures, all you command. But we don't obey to be saved. We've been saved by our faith in Jesus. And now we obey. 
We're empowered to by your Holy Spirit who you've sent in us. Lord, if there's anyone in here this morning that's trapped in legalism, Spirit of God, would they be set free by the power of the gospel? And to any here who are presuming upon your grace, would you pull them out of that ditch? Grant them repentance and faith. Cause them to walk in your ways. Help all of us receive this today and and throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Not as an impossibly heavy burden upon our shoulders, but as a gong being sounded that resonates deep inside our hearts. Cause us, Lord, increasingly to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And thank you for Jesus. The one who has perfectly kept it all and teaches us to do the same. The one who truly is the greatest in the kingdom. We pray in his holy and righteous name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.